Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yes, it's Mariner's Pod. Welcome back. Big weekend at T-Mobile Park this weekend. The Mariners taking on the Blue Jays for four games. The final home games before the All-Star break, if you can believe it. So we'll touch on that coming up in just a few minutes. Also, we'll chat with Stephen Davis, the double-A voice of the Arkansas Travelers. Really interesting conversation. We'll talk uh, a couple of pitchers down there, including Emerson Hancock, who was just named the Futures Game roster. We'll also talk about some of the rule changes they've been going with in AA, including the shift and pitch timer and bigger bases. A lot of different things happening at AA, and Stephen gives us very good insight on what exactly is going on down there, so we'll touch on that as well. But a big weekend this weekend as the Mariners get set to take on the Toronto Blue Jays, two teams that have been going in opposite directions the past week. You look up, and the Mariners now a game below 500 at 41 and 42. They've won four in a row, and now four games behind the Blue Jays, who hold the third wild card spot. I know it's July, and I'm not usually standings guy in July, but just to point out how quickly this has happened for the Mariners in this recent stretch, Boston holding the first wild card along with Tampa Bay, both 45 and 37. So they're tied for the first two. Then the Blue Jays right behind them, 45 and 38. Cleveland, three and a half back. They've lost four in a row. And the Mariners, four back. They've won four in a row. Still a lot of movement to be had. We've seen some long winning streaks and long losing streaks so far in the American League. And for the Blue Jays, they are stuck in a really tough stretch. They've had some really difficulties on the mound. They've also had some tragedy off the field as well. So this has been a really tough stretch on and off the field for the Blue Jays. It looks like Kevin Gosman is not going to start tonight. He was supposed to. He got hit with a line drive in his last start and had to leave early. And his bullpens just have not gone well enough. There's a chance he'll start on Sunday and replace Yusei Kikuchi, who was supposed to get the start on Sunday, but it has been a massive struggle for the former Mariner. So a lot of upheaval in the Blue Jays' rotation. Uh, Mariners could see Casey Lawrence, former Mariner, pitching in the place of Gosman in the game tonight. So we'll see how it all shakes out. Blue Jays played yesterday. They beat the A's 2-1, to one, but they did drop the series in Oakland, two games to one. Before that, they lost the final three games of a series against Tampa Bay, including a doubleheader last Saturday. So at one point, they had lost five games in a row before winning 
yesterday. Their offense right now not packing the punch that you would expect from the Blue Jays, but the names are still there. Vlad still having a really nice season, 19 home runs on the season. They do pack a wallet. Bo Bichette, 13 long balls. Matt Chapman with 13 as well. Alejandro Kirk has been one of the best hitting catchers in baseball this year. He's slashing three over 300, 400, 500 on the season. So they're still a very dangerous group offensively. But this is a big series for the Mariners and a chance to maybe take advantage of some of the struggles on the mound. It's been a rough year out of the bullpen for Toronto. Jordan Romano has been solid as the closer at the back end, but getting to him has been tough at times. David Phelps, Adam Simber, the local product, they've been pretty good in their roles, but not a lot of depth there. So we'll see if the Mariners can take advantage. But this should be a really, really fun weekend at T-Mobile Park. A lot of energy at T-Mobile Park. The last home games before the All-Star break and a big opportunity series for the Mariners. A chance to really eat into that lead and vault themselves into contention. We've been talking about the Mariners trying to get near 500 by the All-Star break. And they have a golden opportunity thanks to the two-game sweep in San Diego. Still some work to do. A couple against Washington, four games against Texas after this four-gamer against the Blue Jays. Who despite their struggle, still a really Really good team with really high expectations coming into the season. So we'll see how it all shakes out. In the meantime, how about our chat with Stephen Davis? I continue to watch Taylor Dollard from afar, and I keep waiting for a bad outing or a bad inning that keeps not happening. His ERA is below one this far into the season. It's ridiculous from afar. What kind of magic does Taylor Dollard have that you're seeing every time he goes out there? Taylor Dollard is a very interesting guy, Gary. And and it's the same thing watching him up close. Every time he takes the mound for me, you keep thinking, okay, law of averages, something's got to give here. Somebody's going to get a couple to drop in or something. And he keeps going out and delivering stellar outings. Let me give you a couple examples. A couple starts ago, he gives up a leadoff home run, an absolute rocket, 420-foot blast to a guy who's not a home run hitter. And I'm thinking in my head, "Uh uh-oh, tonight's the night. Here we go. Nope, goes out six scoreless after that, after giving up a leadoff home run. The other night, his, his start earlier this week, he gives up two runs in the first on a bloop with two out. And you're thinking, okay, this is the, the bad luck's going to catch up to him tonight. Nope, ends up going seven innings basically untouched after that two out single in the first retired 19 in his final 20 batters. He's got a couple things going for him uh, to answer your original question, Gary. He commands his pitches really well. He commands the slider exceptionally well. He commands the fastball, which it's not overpowering in velocity, but it's fast enough. It's in the low nineties, the sliders in the upper seventies. So the speed differential between the two is good. And he'll mix in a curveball and a changeup just enough to keep hitters even more off balance with some more off speed stuff, but he throws them for strikes. He gets swings and misses. And when he's not getting swings and misses, he keeps the ball off the barrel of the bat. He's been able to make adjustments. Those couple ball games I mentioned when he does give up a run or two in the first inning or the second inning, if there is some trouble, he'll adjust the very next inning and find a way to, to put the ball just in a slightly different spot or adjust the game plan a little bit with his catcher. And he's just been sensational every time out. He's calm. He's cool. He's, he's everything you would want a pitcher to be in terms of mound presence. And he just fills up the strike zone and he makes life miserable for opposing hitters. And 
Uh, I know when he goes to the mound, he's confident that he's going to put together a good outing one way or another every night. The coaching staff feels that way. The the, the players feel that way. And, and he's won six consecutive starts now for a reason. It's because he's going out and throwing six-plus innings pretty much every night and keeping the opposition to, down to one or two runs. It's been amazing to watch from afar. Also from afar, we've been excited to see Emerson Hancock back on the mound, and it looks like he's he's really pitched well. What have you seen from Emerson so far? Emerson Hancock is excited to be back on the mound. Uh, <laughs> that was the, the, the number one thing I got from Emerson when he showed up in May. He was just happy to be able to be with a team and watch some real baseball games and be part of the group again, and then getting to pitch was just the icing on the cake for him. Emerson's one of those guys who loves to take the baseball get out to the mound and do his part. And I know it's been frustrating for him dealing with the injuries and now limited innings, limited pitches. When he goes to the mound, he's finally up to where he can throw 90 ish pitches in a start, uh, maybe even push a hundred. They've let him throw five innings a couple times. Now uh, his big thing is he just needs to show he's healthy, but he's pitching. Well, as you mentioned, on top of that, the fastball has been really good. Uh, he's been able to work that, especially up in the zone and get guys to swing through it. Uh, it's one of those pretty high spin rate fastballs that plays well towards the top of the zone, and he'll mix in the off speed just enough uh, that he'll get guys to chase that as well. Uh, and he's been fun to watch. Uh, I really had no expectations for Emerson this year uh, because we saw him so little last year, and then he gets hurt pre-spring training this season. Uh, it was just go out and, and take the baseball as much as you can, and it's been fun to watch him not only take the baseball, but as you said, pitch well uh, and have some success doing it uh, and look like a guy who is gaining confidence every time he goes out there, not only in his stuff, but also in his health that he's able to do this. There are guys that we've been paying attention to closely. I mentioned a couple already, Dollard and Hancock, Levi Stout another. Is there another guy or two on the pitching staff that maybe are a little under the radar from our perspective that maybe Mariner fans should certainly be aware of? Stephen Colex, another guy in the starting rotation that would be a guy to keep an eye on. He had a really fast start to the season, a guy who was kind of an afterthought uh, last year, working as a reliever most of the year at the high A level. But once the Mariners got him in kind of a, a, a trade nobody noticed at the end of spring training last year from the Dodgers, they basically paid some cash for him. He put in some bunch of hard work and, and made himself better. He's really self-made himself into a prospect. And I know that sounds silly, but he just put the work in. He, he got bigger. He got stronger. He worked on his pitch grips and suddenly the fastballs in the mid nineties, suddenly the sliders, a, a big time plus plus pitch picked up a change up over the off season. He's been a steady part uh, of the Travs rotation at the double a level this year. He's kind of hit a wall in his last two or three starts. They haven't been as good, but you feel like it's something he's going to fight through and he just needs to, to make an adjustment here or there but he had been so, so good every time he would take them out. He, he's a Texan. Uh, he's from Texas A&M, kind of a workhorse bulldog mentality. He's going to go out and fight you every time he gets to the mound and find a way to work five, six, seven innings. So he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. And then you can name off pretty much everybody in, in, in the Arkansas bullpen uh, as a guy who's got a chance to get to Seattle at some point, if not this year, in the next year or two. And it's a variety of guys in that bullpen. There's some younger guys, some 24, 25-year-olds, uh, you've got a couple guys like M uh, Michael Striffler comes to mind, who, who's got an ERA around one and a big-time strikeout rate uh, that's in his second year in Double A, who's still refining just a few things command-wise uh, so that he doesn't have to deal with as much trouble as he does, although he always seems to get out of it, all the way to a 30-year-old like Braden Shipley, who's got uh, quite a bit of big league experience and has reinvented himself 
as a pitcher this year. Pretty much everybody in the double-A bullpen is an interesting guy that mm. uh, folks in Seattle, I know, on, on the baseball side for the Mariners, as well as some fans, should probably be keeping an eye on. You know, it's interesting on the hitting side when we talk about Arkansas. I remember when Kyle Lewis came up a couple of years ago, his numbers at Arkansas didn't jump off the page, yet he comes to Seattle and has a major impact. And one of the storylines, the home ballpark in Arkansas can suppress offense. What's your view on uh, offensively this year? Are there a couple of guys that maybe the numbers don't really jump off the page but are having really good offensive seasons? Yeah, it's always tough to judge because of the numbers. And unless you have the internal data the Mariners have where you can see they're hitting X percentage of balls hard uh, and they've had this much bad luck, it's tough to judge because maybe these guys have a week in that home ballpark where they do rail a couple balls and they don't even get to the warning track because the park's so big and the ball doesn't fly. And then next week when they're in a hitter-friendly ballpark on the road, maybe they struggle that week. So it's hard to quantify Uh, what's going on with the offense, but you're exactly right. Uh, And I like to put it this way. If a guy hits well playing in double-A in Arkansas and puts up big numbers, you know that guy can hit. Mm. We knew Jake Fraley could hit when he came through because he did it for half a season. Now Jake's obviously had trouble staying healthy and got traded to the Reds, but you knew he could do it. Julio Rodriguez put up big numbers while he was here. You knew Julio could hit, and obviously that has been justified and then some through the first half of this season. So there's certain guys you can tell. Kyle Lewis was the example of, man, that looks like a guy who can hit, and we can see it, but can he, does it really happen? Well, then he gets to the big leagues, and obviously that first year in 2020, it did happen, and everything scouts and internal people at the Mariners would tell you did come to fruition. There's a couple guys on this team uh, that I think fall into that bucket, at least partially. Zach Deloach comes to mind, a former second-round pick, a left-handed hitter. When he gets going, he hits the ball sharply. He doesn't hit for a ton of power anyway. He's not going to be driving the ball out of the ballpark uh, at an extreme rate, but he'll hit line drives. He'll plug gaps. He's one of those guys who will shoot rockets down the lines for doubles. Uh, He's that kind of hitter. Uh, And Zach's still learning. He came to double-A in the middle of the season last year and had some struggles, uh, fought it a bit in the Arizona Fall League last year as well. But as this year has progressed, he's gotten better and better every time out. And I think you could really throw a lot of this Arkansas lineup into that group, whether it's a couple guys with more double-A experience like Jack Larson or Joe Rizzo or Jake Shiner. And Cade Marlowe comes to mind as well, the the guy who split last year between the two A-ball clubs and led all of the minors in RBIs. Cade had a very slow start to this year in terms of numbers and production, was trying to find his footing. Uh, and the strikeout rate was much higher than they would have liked, but the strikeouts have started to drop. Uh, and over the last really two, three weeks, Cade has started to come on, and he's taking advantage of RBI opportunities. Uh, and he's a guy who can do a little bit of everything offensively. When he gets going, he'll hit for a pretty high average. He's got power both in the gaps and over the fence, and he's got some speed, and he can take a bag for you if you need it. And he's playing center field right now for the Trabs as well. So. Uh, those guys all come to mind as guys who you could make an argument are having a better offensive season than the numbers indicate. But I, I think the, the Mariners folks would like to see even more consistency from that group and more production before they really are satisfied with uh, what they've done so far. During that, you mentioned Julio. And, you know, it just strikes me, as you mentioned, it was not that long ago that you were calling Julio's games in Arkansas. And here he is this year. He's just exploded. He's made a bid to be an all-star in the American League. He's going to be Rookie of the Month again this month. He has just been incredible. 
Are you surprised at this level of production out of the gates for Julio? Or from what you saw, it's like, yeah, of course, this is who he is. Not a bit surprised by what Julio's doing. He is, uh, as the millennials like to call it, he's a unicorn. Hmm. He's, he's just such a rare guy. Uh, the, the combination of everything, not just skill set, but maturity on and off the field, uh, the, the personality where he's happy and effervescent and wants to be at the ballpark every day and wants to be part of the team and wants to win, but also knows his role as he's one of the most important guys. And for his team to have success, he needs to be good, but yet he doesn't take it too hard when he does fail. He can put that aside and come back the next at bat. He handles failure so well, which is obviously so, so important in the game of baseball and just, he's the total package of everything you could want in a baseball player. And for those of us who have been around him a little bit before this season, no, we're not really that surprised by what he's been able to do because he has this unique skill to be able to make adjustments, whether it's okay, I failed doing this. I need to do something differently this time, or here's a piece of coaching advice, go and do that. He, he could take advice and put it into a game that night or, learn and want at bat that didn't work against this pitcher. I'm going to see this guy the next time I'll be able to adjust. Or sometimes even within an at bat when he's doing that in the minor leagues at age 20 and 21, that's almost unheard of. Those are the guys who are the special type of players who become superstars in major league baseball as soon as they get there. And I know it took him a little bit to get going this year. And obviously April was tough for him for a lot of reasons, but uh, that I think again, speaks to his personality and his mentality that, that didn't bother him enough where the whole year became a wash or even the next game or the next at bat became a wash. He was still able to go back up there and become a key part of the lineup early in the season when he was struggling. And now obviously he's one of, if not their most important hitters on a night in and night out basis. So, uh, and the ways he can impact the game obviously makes it even more important because he is, he's continued to get better and he's still young and he's, I think he's really become a true five tool player uh, and, and I hope he's uh, a guy that Mariners fans are realizing is not only really good, but he's only going to get better as he gets more reps and, and a guy that is so, so easy to root for because he's genuine in his attitude and his personality and what he brings to the field and the club. Yeah, that's 100%, no doubt. Well, you've been watching your games this year. You've been watching a number of uh, rule adjustments, rule changes as this year has progressed. I want to start with the shift rules that you are playing under right now what's been your impression what have you seen so far from how the shift uh, i guess i don't know do we call it a ban against the shift at the double a level you can call it that if you want that's kind of a negative connotation of it uh, i call it more the traditional placement of infielders i think would be the, mm. the more positive way of looking at it but it's the I second like it. year we've had it in double a we had it last season as well and personally i really like it uh it, aesthetically it looks correct to me you always have four infielders on the dirt. You have two guys on each side of second base. You still get shifts. Uh, and I kind of forget because I don't get to watch as much Major League Baseball that when I do flip a game on and you see these extreme shifts, you're like, oh, yeah, teams do still shift three infielders to one side of the infield quite a bit in the big leagues. We've gotten so used to not seeing it and not having the second baseman play in a shallow right field, the 10th the, the defender in softball and slow pitch hmm. where that guy's out there trying to you know yank down a, a looper or a, a hard ground ball it looks aesthetically pleasing and it hasn't really affected the game all that much talking to both infielders defensively and guys at the plate 
It doesn't affect your approach. Uh, defensively, you've got to be more on your toes. Balls aren't getting hit right at you all the time, but plays are still getting made. Uh, I think the numbers bear out that it hasn't changed the game extremely in terms of how many more hits are impacted, which I know some people think then, well, hey, why would we do it? Well, it creates a more fun game to watch. You've got middle infielders that then have to range to make a play. You've got a third baseman who, where do you play him against this guy? Is, is there a chance for a bump? Do you need to play him in? You know, your, your shortstop has to go to the other side of second to make a play against the lefty instead of being there waiting for it. Uh, I think it makes the game more fun, both for the fans especially, but also for the players because, you know, a lot of those middle infielders, J.P. Crawford wants to be able to range and make a play, not just be standing there waiting for the ball all the time. So I'm a big fan personally of uh, the shift restrictions, uh, if we'll call it that, and uh, I, I think they're going to find their way to the big leagues sooner rather than later. You also have the bigger bases this year, and that just came up as a topic of conversation with the Ty France injury. We've seen it a couple times at the big league level with first base collisions. That's hard to avoid. Has there been, has it looked any different with the bigger bases? If you look at the base next to the old base, it's a huge difference. Mm. Even though it's only about three inches on each side, the, the, the square inches make it look much bigger. If you see them on their own, and you've been around the game a lot, you can go, something's different. That base looks bigger. And then you go, oh, yeah, that's why it is bigger. But in terms of actual gameplay, the impacts of it have been positive. Yes, there's a reduced chance of injury, uh, especially at first base on collisions or guys stepping on each other, things like that. It's upped stolen base attempts just a little bit. There's some other rules that kind of go hand in hand with all of this as well. But uh, from the minor league numbers I've seen this year, stolen base attempts are up a little bit per game, but it's not an egregious amount. Uh, stolen base success rate is up about 10% over previous years, but that's not to an extreme rate where everyone is running all the time. It's still guys that you would expect to run, and maybe they run a little bit more, but not a ton more. It, it, it helps the game out in terms of creating a little bit more offense, but not making it too extreme. And when you're watching the game and the bases are in the ground and the players are out there, you don't notice that first, second, and third base are larger than they used to be. It really doesn't jump out at you once the game's going on. It's only kind of in pregame setup when they're sitting there on the grass uh, propped up that you would really notice it. It's the only time I've seen it personally this year. So uh, I like the bigger bases. Again, I'm a proponent of creating a little more action in the game of baseball. I think it's more fun to watch. It might be, not be the most efficient way to win baseball games for many teams out there but I think it's the, the most efficient way for fans to get into the game and enjoy it and create some more action for the folks who are watching it uh, either in person or on TV. Is there anything you've seen that's been tried that you would say, no, that doesn't work for me? Or is everything, for the most part, seemingly helping the game or at least achieving the, the goal? I would say most everything is achieving the goal. The pitch timer really has to be enforced. It's on the umpires to enforce it strictly, which, you know, it took the guys two, three outings as a pitcher, especially for relievers and a couple of bats for the hitter to kind of get in the flow of what was expected of it. And there were more violations early in the season, uh, but I think it's generally accomplished what it's supposed to. I know there are rare occasions where, a hitter feels rushed and has to burn a timeout and really step out and take a deep breath, or a pitcher has to step off, but they, they don't have much of an opportunity to do that. The, the only thing I would think, and this kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with it, to have the pitch timer really be effective, you do have to have some kind of limit 
on how many times a batter can call timeout or how many times a pitcher can step off during an individual at bat. We're limited to two right now in double A in the minor leagues. And at times that seems a bit tough. That third time, if a pitcher steps off, they've got to throw to first and get an out or get an out somewhere on that step off or it's a balk. So the pitchers are very cautious about how many times they throw over. And I think at times that can be a little bit too tight of a number uh, being only two, but you don't want to make it too much either, or you've still got guys stepping off all the time. Uh, There's a fine line to find in there. And I think that's why they're testing these rules out the way they are in the minor leagues is to see, is this what we think the data says correct? We need to see it in game action. And, and, And like you asked, Gary, I think for the most part, they have hit the nail on the head or really close to it with most of these uh, rule experiments in the minor leagues and, and them accomplishing the goal they were set out to accomplish. So kudos to the folks who've been working on that and, and trying to get this figured out to make the game more fun to watch, to create more action, to keep the game moving at a better pace so you don't have 45 seconds or a minute between pitches, so you don't have two, three, four, five minutes without a ball put in play sometimes, even a foul ball. Uh, it makes the game more fun to watch, and, and I think they have really accomplished the goal with most, if not all, of these rule changes that we're working with in the minor leagues. Thank you for the review. That's great. Uh, we've taken a lot of your time here. We really appreciate it. Thank you for the insight on Arkansas and the rule changes. Always fascinating stuff. We'll do this again soon. Thank you. Sounds good, Gary. You guys have a great time. Uh, hopefully the team keeps playing well up there.